Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus. And it is a good morning, isn't it? And I hope that all of us are saying, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it, and I hope and pray that we're all glad that we are here worshiping at this hour. As you know, today is the second Sunday in Lent, and in the Christian church it is known as Reminiscere Sunday. That word reminiscere is a Latin word. It's the first word of the intro for the day in the Latin language. It simply means remember. The intro starts out, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses. So reminisce or remember Sunday. And the text that I just read uh, tells about an incident that occurred in about October before the following April when Jesus was put to death. We find Jesus in Judea, and at the time he gathered from the larger group of his followers, he gathered 70 men. And he divided them two by two, and he told them that he wanted them to go out into the villages and the cities of Judea, and he gave them the power to heal the sick, and he told them that they were to be his advance agents, and they were to go and to announce that the kingdom of God was at hand. And so, two by two, the seventy went out, and our text is interested in the return. When they came back, evidently Jesus was somewhere around Jerusalem when the twosomes came back, two by two, and they gave the report. And this is the amazing thing. There wasn't one twosome of the whole group that was discouraged. There wasn't any two individuals or even any one who found any kind of a feeling of despondency. They came back and they were just thrilled to pieces. They were filled with joy. They were bubbling over. They were effervescing. Again, their cup was running over. They were just thrilled to pieces. And all because of the same reason. And they told Jesus, Why do you know that when we were out on that mission, we went in your name, we were able to drive out devils. Oh Lord, you should have seen how we drove out demons, devils who had taken possession of men's bodies. And they were just thrilled and they were just simply overflowing. They were bubbling over with joy. And the strange thing is that Jesus wasn't. Jesus looked at them as they came and evidently they were all there. And Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And he said, I give unto you power over serpents and over scorpions. And I gave you authority over the enemy and nothing shall happen to you. And then he said, but notwithstanding, he said, rejoice not in this that the spirits are subject unto you, but he says, rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And you and I this morning, we say, what was he saying? Well, here the seven, they came back, and the main reason for joy in that missionary journey was something that they had done for Jesus, that they had driven out devils for him in his name. And Jesus tells them, rather rejoice, not in something that you have done for me, but when you bubble over and when you effervesce and when you just overflow with joy and your thrill, Jesus said, let the main reason be what I've done for you, that I have written your name in heaven, that I have written your name in the book of life, that you are saved. And today as we say, what's Jesus saying to you and me? He is saying this, when in your Christian life and mind you and I rejoice 
And when we just bubble over with joy and we find the greatest joy in our Christian life, Jesus today says, make sure, Christian, when you simply bubble over and you flow over with joy and you are just thrilled to pieces in your Christian life, make sure that the main reason is this, what I have done for you, not what you have done for me. Remember, let the main reason, the chief reason, the foremost reason for all of your joy and your effervescence be what I have done for you, that I have written your name in heaven, that I have written in the book of life, uh, that you are saved. Let it not be what you have done for me. The many things that you have done for me, even though they are marvelous, even though they are magnificent, even though they are extraordinary, even though they may be miraculous. And you and I may say this morning, well, I can't see why if in my Christian life I want to bubble over and I want to rejoice and I am glad and I find myself just filled with joy. Why, again, I must see to it that this joy must come from this one reason and this important reason, all because of what Jesus has done for me. Can't the main reason be what I have done for him? We must say, is there anything wrong with letting the main reason for my effervescence in my Christian life being what I have done for him? Well, that's again, my cup runs over because of this main principal reason. Look what I have done for him. We may say there is a joy in recounting what we have done for him, but he says, don't let it be the main reason for your joy. And we may say, what's wrong with it? Is there something wrong? Is that sinful? And Jesus would remind you and me this morning, again, when in your Christian life you bubble over with joy and you are thanking me, be sure that the main reason is what I've done for you, not what you've done for me, because he, again, he didn't smile on that road that day. He would remind you and me it's rather dangerous. It is a very treacherous thing. It is a very risky thing when the main reason for rejoicing in your Christian life and mine is what we've done for him. It may lead to him having to erase your name and mine from the book of life. And you and I may say, is it that serious? That I, in my Christian life, am to see to it that when I bubble over with joy for him, that the main reason is not what I've done for him, but what he's done for me. And we may say, could it result in him erasing my name from the book of life that I be lost? Oh, very much so. It's a tremendously dangerous thing because Christ in the first place reminds you and me of this, that when you and I bubble over with joy and it's all because of uh, what we've done for him, there is this great danger that this very fact that we're bubbling over, say, Lord, look what I've done for you, that it may, again, it may come into your life and mine and may seduce us into thinking uh, that we've earned our salvation, that we, again, we have earned it and we deserve our salvation. It's only a slight step when if in your Christian life and mine we bubble over and we say to ourselves, look, Lord, what I've done for you, just as they did that day. Lord, we drove out devils in your name. Think of it, what we have done. If in your life and mine that's the main reason for bubbling over, it's only one step from there saying, Lord, look what I've done for you. Oh, that's again, you and I may somehow or other, we may be deceived into thinking, Lord, I've earned my salvation. Look what I've done for you. Look at the wonderful things that I have done. They, that's what was wrong that day. Lord, look what we did for you. We have driven out devils for you. And you and I know that we never deserve our salvation. We never earn it by what we 
done. We know that the Word of God says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. If the best that you and I do for him are filthy rags in his sight, then pray, God, how do the worst things look? If God says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one? You and I know as Christians that we can never earn our salvation. If we could have earned it, then it would not have been necessary for Jesus to come into the world. God's Son, born of a woman, born of the Virgin, to come into the world and suffer and die on Calvary's cross for you and me, it wouldn't have been necessary. And therefore Jesus says, watch out, it is tremendously dangerous when you bubble over in your Christian life. And the main reason is, Lord, look what I've done for you. It may again deceive us into thinking, Lord, I've earned my salvation. I've done all that is necessary. When you and I haven't, and it may therefore lead for him to remove our name, to erase it from the book of life, because we may therefore be led to repudiate Christ and the cross. We may say, I don't need him. How many of us rejoice and we say for the main reason in our Christian life and we say, Lord, look what I've done for you. Look at the wonderful things, the manifold things that I have done. And Jesus says, watch out. There's a danger there. You may repudiate me in the cross. You may say, I don't need you. And when in your life and mine we rejoice as a Christian for the main reason of what we've done for him rather than what he has done for us, let's know this, we are on dangerous ground. It is something, again, that is very treacherous. It is most deceiving. And therefore, we ought to say today, as Jesus stood there before the 70, as they came back two by two, and he was anything but overjoyed. And they were just thrilled to pieces. They were just bubbling over. They couldn't wait to tell why, Lord, what we did for you, why the devils even were driven out by us. All we had to do was mention your name. And they scrambled. Lord, it was tremendous. It was wonderful. And Jesus says, Wait a minute. When you rejoice and you bubble over, remember this, that again, I have written your name in heaven. You better rejoice and let this be the main cause, what I've done for you, not what you've done for me. And therefore today, we ought to say this, that in our rejoicing in our Christian life, we ought to determine that we're going to watch it. That the main reason, the very fundamental reason, the greatest of all reasons why we're going to rejoice and bubble over is because of what he's done for us, that he has written our name in the book of life. He has saved us, not what we have done for him, all the many things that we have done. And then we'll determine this morning that in any rejoicing over what we have done, we will always guard and watch that in so rejoicing over what we have done for him, we will never allow it to blind us to the important thing, what he has done for us. You know, you and I may draw the conclusion and say, well, can't I rejoice in anything I've done for Jesus? Does the word of God deny me that privilege? Do you mean to tell me if you and I had not been one of the 70 and we came back and we had been able to drive out devils that you and I wouldn't with them have just rejoiced? We'd have just bubbled over. We'd have just been thrilled to the gills. Sure we would. Does the word of God say that you and I can't rejoice at any time for any reason over what we've done? Why, of course not. Look at Paul. The Apostle Paul, the great missionary agenda, he rejoiced and he was thrilled over some of the things that he had done for Jesus. Why, one day he said, well, I labored more abundantly than the whole bunch put together. I did more, he said, in the kingdom of God than all the other disciples put together. And he did. 
he rejoiced in that, why he thrilled to know that he had three great missionary journeys, that when he left Antioch and Syria and came down the island of Cyprus up into the Galatian country on the first missionary journey, the second one coming over to Troas, and there was the Macedonian call, when he crossed the Aegean and went up into Europe, into Philippi, and established a church, and down in Thessalonica, and over in Berea, and down again, when he came to Athens, and over in Corinth, where he did a tremendous job, and on the third missionary journey, when he went into Ephesus and Asia Minor, spent three years there, and established a tremendous congregation, you mean to tell me that that man didn't rejoice in what he was doing of course he did but he always watched that in the rejoicing that it would never blind him to what Jesus had done for him you and I can rejoice you mean to say that you can't rejoice you may say tomorrow night I'm coming to adult class and I've got some people coming with me that you can't rejoice and just bubble over and say Lord this is what I'm doing for you tomorrow night I'm bringing somebody you mean to tell me that as a congregation you must say, I've taught so many years in Sunday school, I've sung in the choir, I have served my God in the kingdom, that there we can't rejoice and thank God, of course we can. The word of God doesn't say that you and I can't rejoice, but it does say, watch it, that the main reason is not what we have done, but always keeping in mind what Christ has done and never allowing that to be dimmed. I rejoice in my ministry here that as a congregation, Emmanuel, we're working together that we have been able to build an educational building again, something we have done for God, that we have been able to grow by the grace of God, that now your vestry has been able to buy new property that will have greater places for parking that will belong to us. You mean to say we can't rejoice? And I rejoice in the fact that by the grace of God I was permitted to publish a book. Is it true? And I rejoice in this information that the book that I have written is for Joe Dokes, that he could understand what the Christian religion is all about, that it's outselling any of the other ones that are way out in the right center when individuals don't know what to believe. Am I thankful that? To be sure. There is nothing in the Word of God that you and I can't rejoice in what we have done, but that in any kind of rejoicing in your Christian life of mine, when we bubble over that, we will say, but it shall not be the main reason. The big reason is this, that Christ, what he's done for me, he died for me, and he wrote my name in heaven in the book of life, and that I am saved. And therefore, when we can, again, rejoice in our Christian experiences and thank him and never let it dim that, then we have this joy that we know that in our rejoicing, in our Christian life, and what we have done for him, uh, the name has not been erased from the book of life, because that would be tragic, wouldn't it? Again, here he was on the road there, here were 70 men that came in two by two, and they were just thrilled, they were just so elated, because again, of something they had done for him. And that was the main reason why they were rejoicing. It didn't seem to make any difference about anything, what Christ had done, and it was dangerous. And that's why Christ didn't rejoice with him. And he said, men, you've got to be instructed. He said again in this rejoicing is what he told them that day. Don't again let the main reason for your rejoicing be what you've done for me. Manifold though it may be, even though it's marvelous. But bear this in mind. Let the main reason, the principal cause for your bubbling over be what I've done for you. Remember, I died and I wrote your name in heaven. I wrote it in the book of life. And it's dangerous when in our bubbling over that the main reason in your life and mine is, look, Lord, what I have done. Look what I have done for you, Lord. If that's the main reason for our bubbling over, for our cup to be running over, and Jesus says, watch it. 
it's dangerous, it is treacherous. Jesus says it's a very deceiving thing because in the second place he reminds you me that if that's why we bubble over for the main reason of what we've done for him, not for what he's done for us, uh, then again this thing may deceive us into thinking and giving us a false assurance uh, that we are saved, especially if we have done something extraordinary, even miraculous. You see, the thing that threw these 70 was they had done something miraculous. I know individuals poo-poo the idea of driving out devils, but when Jesus was here on earth, Satan did everything in the world to try to dissuade him and try to defeat him. Even the fallen angels taking possession of men's bodies in illness. And again, there was illness without the demon possession, and there was illness with it. Jesus gave them the power to go out and to heal the sick, and there were some illnesses that they found were caused by demons taking possession of men's bodies and of men's minds. And in the name of Jesus, they were able to drive out devils. They did something miraculous. It thrilled them to pieces. And Jesus said, the reason why you were able to do it, he said, I saw Satan like lightning topple from the heaven. When Jesus was baptized and he met Satan in the wilderness in temptation, Jesus defeated him. Jesus told him, in other words, the reason you could do that and step on serpents and scorpions, again, the reason why nothing harmed you, the reason why you could topple Satan and you could drive out there because of the power that I gave you. They did something that was miraculous. And I know that in the Christian church today there are those who are saying, uh, we ought to be able to go out and heal just as they did in the first century. Far be it from us to say that the power of Jesus is, is anyway slackened or that it is fixed. But bear in mind that the miracles of healing that were done in Jesus' day were done as signs to verify the truth of the Christian faith and that he was the Savior. He can still heal. But there are Christians in the church today who are saying, look what I can do for you, Lord. I can heal. And there are those that are saying in some branches of our church, why well, I can speak in strange tongues. Look what I can do for you, Lord. Look at the miraculous, extraordinary things. And Jesus says, you watch out. You watch out if this is the main reason. These things can deceive you and give you a false assurance that the next thing you'll be saying, Lord, because I have been able to heal the sick in your name and because I have been able to speak in strange tongues in your name, I must be saved. To have a miracle-producing faith, I must be saved. And may I tell you that's a lie. Don't you ever in your life or I in my life ever mistake a miracle-working faith for a saving faith. Didn't Jesus say that there are going to be some surprises when again he comes again, that some are going to say to him, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We had a faith that enabled us to foretell the future. Lord, we drove out devils in your name. Lord, we did many things, miracles in your name. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Don't you and I ever get the idea that if we could heal in his name or even speak in strange tongues in his name, that ipso facto, that this is a faith that saves. It does not. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, if you could speak with the tongue of men and of angels, if you could give your body to be burned, if you had a faith that could move mountains and you didn't have love, which is the fruit of a saving faith, Paul says you're nothing but a noise and a raucous symbol in the nose and in the ears of God. Don't let anybody within the sound of my voice ever think 
because look what I've done. Look what I've done. Extraordinary, miraculous, whether you've done them or not. But don't you ever dare say, now I know I'm saved. Any kind, we call that a charismatic faith or a miracle working faith. May I tell you a miracle working faith doesn't say it can only do one thing and that's damn. Only a saving faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as mine and as our Savior saves. I don't care if you've ever healed the sick or whether you've spoken in tongues or whether you've given out devils. May I warn you this morning, oh, that is no evidence of the assurance that you're saved. No. Watch it, Jesus. So that's why he, Jesus wasn't overjoyed when they came. They were bubbling over to beat the band. That's why you and I ought to say that if in our Christian life, when we bubble over and we rejoice, and again we find great joy and great delight, that Jesus says, but be sure oh, that the reason for your joy is what I've done for you that I've written your name in the book of, not for what you've done for me. Don't let that be the main reason it's dangerous. When you and I realize that, we ought to determine that in the joy and in the buoyancy, and we ought to rejoice in your Christian experience and mine, that we're going to see to it that the reason, the main reason, is what he's done for us. And the way to do that is to start today and to rejoice for what he's done for you and me. You realize the greatest miracle in the book of life in heaven? You know what it, what it is? The greatest miracle in that book of life is that your name's in it by his grace, if you have faith in him, or that I'm my name's there. That's the greatest miracle of that thing. That's what he's done. And because if you and I have come to faith in him, our name is written in heaven. And it's in the book of life. Do we know what that means? That means that because we have come to faith in him who died for our sins, that we have the forgiveness of sins. That we are delivered from eternal death and damnation. That you and I have an eternity in heaven with him and with our loved ones awaiting us. That's what it means. And when you and I can start every day and say, I will wobble over and I will effervesce and I will just simply let my cup run over, Lord, because of what you've done for me. Well, then we're going to realize, we're going to say, what I have done it's simply nothing more than what I should have done. I'm only an unprofitable servant. I couldn't do anything were it not that you had written my name in the book of life first because without faith you and I can't even please him. And then when every day we begin to rejoice and then here's Holy Communion to have the joy here that he comes by means of lowly bread and wine and bestows his body and blood, the body and the blood that was given in death and shed in death that has brought forgiveness and deliverance and hell and eternal life to you and me and he gives it to you and me in the sacrament. Again, we ought to thank him. Look what you've done for me, the assurance of that again, because I believe that you have saved me and that you and I again can have this joy of knowing uh, that our names are written in heaven because of what he's done for us. And that means peace of mind. Oh, to have peace of mind in a world that is so disturbed and a world that just today seemingly is coming apart at the seams. Do we realize again what it means that in our buoyancy and in our ebullience and in our bowling ourselves over in joy that Jesus says, make sure that the real reason, the main reason is what I've done for you, not what you've done for me. And when you and I realize what a danger it is that the reason for our joy and we would make it what we've done for him, that it's dangerous and it's treacherous. And it, it's, again, it's just something that we must realize that 
It just simply offers all kinds of deceptions because Christ would remind us if the main reason in your life and mine is what we've done. Lord, look what I've done for you. This is the reason why I rejoice and my cup runs over and I bubble over. God would remind you and me that Again, this would deceive us into thinking that it's no longer necessary for us to repent daily of our sins, that everything is just all right. You know, it's just one step if we're going to spend our days and say, Lord, I'm bubbling, look what I've done for you. And this be the main reason and forget what he's done for us. Why we'll begin to say to ourselves, well, I don't have to repent of my sins. Why, the, all that I've done for him, it isn't necessary. I don't have to worry about the things every day that I do that are wrong. About, again, my sins. I don't have to ask him for repentance and again. And I don't have to turn to him for sorrow and ask him to forgive me. And again, to assure me that I am in fellowship with him. And what happens then? It may lead you and me to live in just as we please. To forget any kind of standards to say... Well, Lord, in view of what I've done for you, no longer do I need to repent of my sins. I can live as I please. I'm an exceptional person. It doesn't make any difference. And then to have Jesus have to erase our name from the book of life because it's a dangerous thing. If the great and the only and the important reason in your Christian life and mine for rejoicing is not what Jesus has done for us, that he's, again, died for us and written our name in the book of life, but what we've done for him, oh, again, it's dangerous. Watch it. And Jesus says, no, watch out in your rejoicing that it's never this main reason of what you've done for me. The many things that you've done, even though they're extraordinary, they're marvelous, and even though they may be, again, miraculous, then we ought to say to ourselves, Lord, I want to rejoice. I, I want to bubble over. I want to show some enthusiasm. And we can be glad at least the 70 were awake. And sometimes we as Christians, we register anything but joy in our Christian experience. We ought to say to God, I do want to bubble over and I do want to rejoice. But I want the main reason to be, Lord, what you've done for me, not what I've done for you. This is dangerous. This may lead me away from you. You may have to erase my name. And when we determine that we're going to bubble over and for the main reason of what Christ has done, then we're going to say to him, Lord, uh, trim me down to size so that my main reason will always be what you've done for me. Did you ever think of Paul? You know, he was a little Jew and he was a mighty man. He was a persecutor. But he was just like you and he was just like me. You know, he, he had a big sense of pride about him too. Don't you ever kid yourself? He says again, he was talking to the Corinthians about what all he had done. And he was uh, again rejoicing and he was bubbling over and all the things that he had accomplished and in all of the adversities that he had suffered. And then he was rejoicing of, again that God had given him a preview of heaven. Remember that? That 14 years before that time, God had transported him to the third heaven and he saw things that were not lawful for a man to utter. And then Paul says what? Lest I just get too frisky, lest I get too proud, lest I get too arrogant, wonders who I am. He says, God sent a thorn in the flesh to me. And he says, and I went to him three times and I asked him to take it away and he wouldn't do it. Why? God had a trimming down. Wait a minute, Paul. You're a proud man and you may start to rejoice. Look what I've done. And your soul may be in danger. I may have to 
erase your name. And so there came a thorn in the flesh. You and I say, what was it? Well, we don't know exactly, but at one time he writes and he talks about his eyes being bad. Uh, there are doctors who think it may have been a touch of glaucoma, pressure inside of the eyeball. And there are, at one time he mentions that he was a sorrowful sight when people saw him. And that's why the most popular tradition is that Paul was an epileptic and that he had epileptic seizures. And I know that you've ever seen one or not. I remember as a boy walking to school one morning and here was a man lying in the gutter having an epileptic seizure. I never heard of such a thing. And I saw the foam from his mouth and the blood streaming from his nose. And I was scared to death. And I remember running into a home and saying, here's a man on the street. Something was wrong with him. If you've ever seen, this was Paul. This is what he got. It may have been a combination of both. That big man, lest again he be exalted above due measure. God says, listen, Paul. Here's a thorn, and I'm not going to take it away. Have you and I got the courage to say, Lord, don't let me through pride and arrogance. Don't let me through again, letting the big reason for my rejoicing be, Lord, look what I've done for you. Don't ever let it blind me to what you've done. Trim me down, trim me down. Now, then illness comes, doesn't it? Oh, boy, how that trims us down. Just let illness come or let death come, and it trims us down. And Paul carried the thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, when I was in Rome in St. Paul's Cathedral and stood there where traditionally it is said, this is where he gave up his life. He stood there, this man, Paul, this man that had a thorn in the flesh and they were ready to cut his head off. Everything was gone. Here was a man, a sick man. Everything had failed and he was facing death. But he was the man that could stand there and he could still rejoice. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. And he laid his head on the block. And with a sword, because he was a Roman, they gave him this honorable way of death. They cut off his head. And if you've been in St. Paul's in Rome, they tell you about the tradition that his head bounced three times and that each place where it bounced, a spring of water came up. One was cold and one was lukewarm and one was hot water. But again, when everything failed, he again could just bubble over because his name was written in heaven. And listen, let's, if there's any chance through self-righteousness that you and I may have that name erased, let's be courageous enough this morning to tell Christ, trim me down, cut me down, throw me against the wall. For God's sake, don't erase my name. Maybe that's what you and I need, to be trimmed down to size, like he did Paul, that we can say, I rejoice, I bubble over, Lord, because of what you have done for me. Having to be able to sing, oh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased by God, born of the Spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. May God trim you and me down that when we bubble over, we praise the Savior, not ourselves. Amen.
The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.